Welcome back, everybody. We are here with another episode of Check the Net, an Impact 89 FM college basketball podcast. I am your host, Josh Guprode, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Colin Pearson and Kylie Tabler. We are also joined once again by Derek Mitchell from last week's episode and also Impact's NBA podcast, Courtside Convo. Derek, good to have you back with us this week. I really appreciate you guys having me back here for uh, part two to this thing and the last one of the semester, so I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be fun. We have an exciting episode today. We're going to go back to the transfer portal. There's been a lot going on, and we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the players on the men's side that have been looking towards the NBA draft because there's been a lot of those guys retaining their eligibility and moving forward you know, with their careers. But let's start on the women's side because there was some big news today, and honestly, we are texting about this. Sometimes we record on Tuesday. Sometimes we record on Thursday. I would have been really irritated with myself. If I would have decided, because it would have been, I'm just going to be honest, I, I I had a lot of stuff going on this week, and it would have been easier for me to schedule on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I, for whatever reason, I didn't do it, and I was just like, whatever, I'll just have the podcast be later in the week. Thank God I did, because this is probably the biggest news that has happened since we started this show. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, in, in no terms question. of, like, active news, like, the, the NCAA championships were pretty big, and, like, but we covered those after they happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is something that literally broke within the last five, six hours and is ridiculous. Haley Van Lith, the top transfer on the market on the women's side, going to LSU, and she was a do-not-contact transfer. So for those who don't know, she was such a highly coveted transfer that she was actually able to be in that exclusive group where no coaches were allowed to openly contact her or recruit her in any way. The only way to recruit her would or was for her to reach out to the schools. And so this was her pretty much targeting LSU as somewhere she really wants to go. Kim Mulkey is somebody that she almost played for before. Well, when Van Lith ended up at Louisville, her second choice by most accounts was Baylor when Mulkey was there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's there's a lot to get into here. Now, she teams up with Angel Reese, mm-hmm. who there was just a lot of buzz about. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just jump in. I want to jump in with my favorite part of this and just start with what I think is the most interesting. Are Is this the best pair of villains now? That yes, women's college basketball the has, has yes. ever seen. There's no question. Because, I love the narrative. I mean, Colin, like, I know you've had some thoughts about Van Lith. We all seem to like, you know, Angel Reese, but yeah. like, I, I know Colin, you, player, you know, you had you had some thoughts on Van Lith and the transfer stuff. I'm sure a lot of people don't like this move from Van Lith. No, she's moving in her graduate year. I mean, come on. Well, really? and and jumping to the reigning national champions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's you know two time All ACC. She was an ACC All-Freshman back when she was a freshman. She's two times NCAA All-Region, which is pretty coveted considering it's just for players that play well in the tournament and get their teams far. And, I mean, Louisville's a great team, and they are losing a big one with Van Lith. Yeah, no, I'm so excited she went to LSU. I think it's so so cool. It stirs the pot. I love it. Sure. Yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's a great, great thing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she averaged 20 points a game. So then she'll kind of help to provide a lot more, some more scoring outside of Angel Reese. So I think that'll be really good for them for sure. I think it brings the hype to LSU in a way. It just makes everybody <laughs> kind of excited because I'm excited to see how that's going to play out with having mm-hmm. somebody draw out the defense to the three-point line like that. I'm just excited to watch it go down. So that's going to be awesome to look at. Well, and a lot of, and this is not my opinion, but a lot of people don't like Kim Mulkey either. Like, I love like, Kim like, Mulkey. Well, and I, I just said, it's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. <laughs> a lot of people seem to have 
issues here or there with Kim Mulkey. A lot of people definitely have issues, whether that's valid or not, with Angel Reese. Mm-hmm. And the, Van Lith kind of joins that party. But also, how it's, it's going to be so annoying for other teams because Reese is that type of in-your-face mm-hmm. player where you're dealing with that all day and then, like, very quietly as that's going on, you're just getting shredded from the three-point line yeah. by yep. Van Lith, and she's just doing – and it's quiet, and you don't really know what's happening, and then she's got 30, and you've been listening to Reese the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're getting out-coached by Mulkey the whole yeah. time, too. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what can you do? It's just a got... threat. That's scary. Mm-hmm. It's exciting, but it's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think that's the thing. It's like it's not – I think that's why I ask the villain question because I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's also like these are all – it's it's not like a um, – what's a good example of this? It's not like a Dylan Brooks where it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like you just – you like hearing yourself talk and this is what you're going to do. And like, oh, what, what, was, what did he say? Like I don't – I'm not afraid of bears. I poke bears or something. Yeah. Well, yeah that, then he, then he skipped quote. two straight games of media availability because they lost. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. talk. Well, and, and the situation <laughs> in Memphis was so bad that on the NBA level that Damian Lillard was tweeting out – somebody said something like, you can't, you can't be the man one day and have an identity crisis the next. <laughs> well, And that's the one thing, just to bring it back, that I have no fear about with any of these – involved no, at LSU. Like no. Van Lith knows she's good. She knows she's great. She knows what level she's at. Reese definitely knows that and is not mm-hmm. afraid to tell you. And, and Mulkey's been around. Like Mulkey knows she's a great coach. Mm-hmm. She had success as a player too. It, it feels like it, it It feels like Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. Honestly, I mean, honestly. yeah. It really yeah. does. It seems, I know it's NBA to college and, and men's whatever, but it really does because that's the type of player that this is yeah mm-hmm. it almost begs the question like could lsu go undefeated next year I, is I it mean, possible I it. is mm-hmm. it possible that yeah. they go undefeated 100%. win another national yeah. title i mean that's a distinct possibility in my mind i, I definitely yeah. think so because especially with um i mean south carolina went undefeated this year up until the tournament so i it's very much possible but yeah especially with van van lith i think it's for do you sure. do you think this team with van lith and reese is better than south carolina Pretty pretty decisively because if they went undefeated mm. and that's and that's the bar. I mean that's mm. I, that's just what comes to mind for me because if if South Carolina did it and these guys aren't in your opinion better than South Carolina, maybe we're just getting wrapped up in two big names. I mean because LSU yeah. still has to have the rest of the team. So I think mm, this is hard because I think for South Carolina their deficit is that they didn't have any outside shooters. Mm. LSU yeah. has that. However, South Carolina did beat LSU by like 20 this year, like in season. So I don't know. I think if they would have matched up in the tournament, I think South Carolina would have won. But I think bringing Van Lith, I think if they had Van Lith and they played South this year, South Carolina, I think they probably would have won because they couldn't contain. I know the comparison for Van Lith and Clark, Caitlin Clark is going to be like, they're not the same player, but they're both very good players. I mean, Van Lith is still a very good three-point shooter, and she will shoot. So I think it just kind of – I think they probably – yeah, I think they could. You see, you said that she will shoot. That's my worry. Um, my worry <laughs> is that Van Lith and Reese won't get well to get along well together because they both kind of are that player that kind of takes over a team and, like, mm-hmm. is the person that when they get the ball, they shoot. And so I'm wondering if there will be a rough dynamic between the two. I and think Mulkey will hold, have a handle on that for sure. Well, they do have two big egos in a way, so I don't know if they'll clash or not, or they will mesh mesh together. That's a good point. But yeah. I think it's I, I and I agree with that, Derek. But I think it's a different kind of ego, which is what I was mm-hmm. getting at a little earlier. Like 
Like mm-hmm. Van Lith, I mean, she's she's gotten involved in trash talk and stuff like that and whatever. And there was the whole thing with her and Clark. Van Lith has an ego that manifests in a very different way than Reese, which is why I think it can work. I, I, I think of a lot of like the great, like, and not to keep dipping back into this pot, but like I already made the KD joining the Warriors thing, but like that, like some some great teams, like this LSU team is going to be like the Warriors were in the NBA. Like you you just have that many big personalities, but like Draymond and Steph, those guys have all of the gravitational pull in the world in a locker mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Totally different people can coexist. Like there's no tomorrow. It just works. It it just works. And and Reese is very loud in a good way. I like that about her. Mm-hmm. And I also think that part of why I don't worry about this mix is because Reese can get her offense off of Van Lith misses. Yeah, that's true. Like like I don't like if these were two guards, I would be worried. Doesn't work in college. Doesn't work in the NBA. Doesn't mm-hmm. work in the WNBA. It's just something about basketball. It just doesn't work. And when you have that balance, like LSU has, where you have the big and the guard, mm-hmm. I think that functions much better in terms of pushing for championships. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. I don't think there's a better story. That's why we have to start with it. Oh, yeah, no. I, I They're mean, definitely, as of right now, probably the favorites for next year. The only thing I'd say is that Paige Bukers is going to come back next year for UConn, so we'll see how that goes. Well, and, and UConn, I, we don't have a lot in the notes about UConn, but it's kind of you don't need to have a lot of notes. Like the the staff's still there. Yeah, it's like, UConn. They'll 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 have those years where they're just like, hey, remember us, right? And, and, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it, it actually could be one of those years. Yeah. With that, with our last transfer portal episode, we talked a lot about, especially on the women's side, there was a lot of players that hadn't decided yet. Van Lith was one of them the, mm-hmm. that hadn't decided yet. Another one of those players was Asia Davis, who I was really interested in, from Northern Illinois. And she's actually going to Seton Hall and filling some of the void left by one of the players Colin wanted to talk about back on that episode, yep. Lauren Park Lane, which I find very interesting because, one, I think it's a little interesting from a Seton Hall perspective because you're losing a basically a superstar guard. You're not replacing it with a guard of really any kind. You just went out and got a big. Like it's You're kind of retooling your whole team, but you still have a star, which I think is, at the end of the day, what matters. Yeah. If you have someone who can make a huge difference on your team, I mean, we have in here that she had back-to-backs. Uh, Davis had back-to-back seasons with 12-plus rebounds, first in rebounding in, um, in the MAC last year, sixth in scoring. She's good, and you're not going to take anything away from that. Seton Hall can work with that. They're going to work her to get her up to the level that Seton Hall is going to play at and what their competition is going to be playing at, and then they're probably going to end up trying to build their offense around her, around her or inc- incorporate – her into it more so i honestly though i don't think them losing park lane but filling in their her position with a post is necessarily a bad thing because they can just adapt to it for sure and well and i think it's interesting too because i mean derek talked a little bit about this on, on what we were talking about with lsu about fit and things like that there's a, a pretty different chemistry that goes into an offense being surrounded or surrounding a big mm-hmm. into an offense that's able to be initiated by a lauren park lane type guard Derek, do you think there's going to be issues at Seton Hall? I mean, we, we kind of talked about this uh, when we were talking on the men's side about Hunter Dickinson, about how sometimes uh, interior players struggle mm-hmm. a little bit when there's nobody to get them the ball. I mean, if Asia Davis was going to play with Park Lane, I'd be talking about this almost as like <laughs> an LSU situation. Mm-hmm. Not quite at that level, but like a very dynamic duo. 
But, I, I mean, now that she's replacing Park Lane, do you, do you think this is better for Seton Hall moving forward? It's kind of a, a neutral step? I mean, where do you land on this? I think it'll be, like, a neutral step because they're such a good team and they have, like, really good talent. So, I mean, when they come into this, they're just going to have to work with her and then the coaches are going to get with her because they already have a really good coaching system. So it'll be easy to just work with a new player and implement them into a system. And as they grow and they practice over the summer and getting into the year, I think she'll be able to fit in perfectly with her offense. They'll learn how to get her the ball and get her the spots and be able to pass the rock around. And she'll be able to score and like produce rebounds and get her offensive touches that she usually needs to so they can win a couple of games next year or a lot of games. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point. And I also think along with that, this staff just spent all of that time developing Lauren Park Lane. So I'm sure this staff will be able to take some of that knowledge that they got from developing Lauren Park Lane and use that to help the newer, less experienced guards better accommodate Davis. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely know what they're doing after Lauren Park Lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, let's move on to the Lauren Park Lane side of this because we, we talked a lot about Seton Hall there. And Lauren Park Lane has a new home, too, as she's moving on to Mississippi State. The interesting fact here is that Mississippi State assistant Gabe Lazo was actually familiar with Park Lane from her high school days because Lazo coached at Stony Brook at the time and had done some recruiting in that area. So he was actually a driving force behind this. But she ends up at Mississippi State. The thing that I found the most interesting here, she has already talked about the impact she expects to have, and thinks she could average as many as 10 assists a game. Yeah, she's been very clear on that. You look at all of her stats from Seton Hall, and there's no question she can make a big impact. And her throwing out numbers is great. I mean, 10 assists per game, that specifically, is going to be a huge step for Mississippi State if she can do it. And frankly, I think she can. Looking at both who Mississippi State plays, how Mississippi State plays, and you know all of her stats from before, I, I don't see any reason why she can't. I don't see any reason why she couldn't go more. I think she would be a, just a, a plug-and-play type of player. She'll just come right in and she'll. I think she'll get 10 assists a game. That's kind of easy with like 20 points a game that she's already averaging the past year. And shooting 40% from field goal, I think that will just be easy for her to come in there and just start like kind of running the team in a way and just kind of getting them to success. Yeah, I. so I'm, I'm kind of – in the middle on on that because I've one I love the confidence I love I love like hey I'm gonna go do this mm-hmm. I also think that we just spent five minutes talking about how good LSU is gonna be and then we had a hard time deciding if they were better than South Carolina those are both in the SEC with Mississippi State I just wonder if that's too tough of a conference to average ten assists a night in like, like yeah. I just from a competition True. standpoint this is nothing against Lauren Park Lane I just wonder if she's a, kind of a little bit just biting off more than she can chew there. Not really realizing the level of talent that she's maybe I shouldn't say not realizing. I'm sure she's very aware of the talent mm-hmm. there. I, I shouldn't say not realizing, but maybe underestimating some of the yeah. the jump that's about to occur. With I mean, the SEC is the Premier League right now mm-hmm. in the women's game. I'm, oh, just, for I'm sure. just gonna yeah. say it. It's the to me, it's the Premier League. It's got the two best teams, if unless you count Iowa, who has the best player. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the SEC has the two best teams and. Mississippi State was good last year. They made the tournament and actually pulled off an upset. But they they were an 11 seed. I yeah. mean, this you know they were True. pretty far down the SEC ladder. I think that's where I land with the ten assists a game. I do think it's possible. She definitely has the talent for it. I just wonder if the conference is a little tough. And so I, I just want to leave the as we wrap up the discussion on the women's side. I mean, we there's still some big names out there and this that and the other. Is, is there anything that we haven't talked about that stands out to anybody in terms of like trends that we're going to see 
Because I, I think, aside from everything we talked about with LSU this year, the Van Litt thing is huge because I think that sets a very strong precedent mm-hmm. for that type of thing in the future to be okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that I have a problem with it now, but a lot of people do. And that being, like, th- this might be a floodgate situation. Yeah, I think you're going to see an increase in these high-profile players transferring to other high-profile teams. Because I know Stanford, I talked about her la- in the last transfer portal, Lauren Betts, who was the number one uh, 2022 recruit, is leaving Stanford, who is one of the great, one of the best teams in on the women's side. I could see her going to a, another top program because I think that they want the same level of competition and they want the same level of coaching, which you're going to get with those top programs, but they just need a different environment. So I can definitely see more of those top players moving to other top programs, and I don't see anything wrong with it. I wonder if we're also going to see kind of the same kind of thing we've been seeing in the men's side for the last 20 or so years where players start out at a little bit of a lower level school and transfer up Mm -hmm. um, into those higher level programs for their junior, senior, grad years. I think we're kind of starting to see that play out a little bit. You know, you see these top players in the MAC and then all these smaller conferences start transferring up and going to different schools. I think we're going to see that a lot more in women's and that kind of storyline of starting small going big rather than just immediately going big for sure yeah well let's let's jump into the men's side then because there's there hasn't been as much i i think that's been interesting too Uh, a little side note before we really dive into it i've been very intrigued by how much more active the women's portal has been than the Mm -hmm. men's portal oh absolutely that's kind of unusual yeah exactly that's kind of what i mean is it's, it's really blown me away I remember the first couple of episodes, we were pretty, all of us were kind of leaning into expecting the men's portal to pop off at any second. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just been steadily kind of plodding along. And then like the women's portal has been the one that has these huge bursts of news and announcements and all these these high profile transfers. But on the men's side, there has been a lot. Gonzaga got, brought in a lot of guys. You North Carolina brought in a lot of guys. I, I kind of wanted to talk about another spot, actually, because I think a lot Gonzaga and those transfers and the UNC transfers are getting a lot of coverage everywhere. I wanted to talk about the additions to Ole Miss because they've been very quietly cleaning up in the recent times, in the, or the recent days in the transfer portal. They landed Jamarion Sharp uh, from Western Kentucky, who is currently the tallest player in D1. Uh, wow. Led the led the NCAA in block percentage last year, seven foot five right now. Clearly going to start walk in and start for them. They also added Brandon Murray, who used to play at LSU and then transferred to Georgetown. Now he's transferring again. He averaged almost fourteen points a game last year. And then they added Austin Nunez from Arizona State, who didn't you know average about four points a game in his freshman year. But it's still another pickup. Mm-hmm. It's another guy. And all of those guys following Chris Beard, who just he refuses to go away. He will. He will always be okay. I mean, he's yeah. he's a great coach. He's a great coach. I I I I'm not gonna get into anything other than that <laughs> because I can't. But like it, 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 he he just he will never stay down. He will always mm-hmm. find a new job, and he did, and he's killing it in the portal. So I I I really wanted to talk about that because unlike the SEC on the women's side, the SEC on the men's side feels very up for grabs. Feels mm-hmm. very wide open. It feels like any team that makes a solid amount of pickups can make a big run. Alabama is obviously there. Arkansas is very good, but like Ole Miss with all of these additions and a very good coach can make some noise in this conference. No, for sure. I think 
Yeah, I think it's just going to honestly come down to who has the better uh, transfer portal class yeah. <laughs> at this point because everyone is picking up so many different good players. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely going to be a competition next year. I think there's going to be a huge shift in who actually makes the tournament next year too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can easily see Ole Miss making the tournament, but like some of these teams that are losing players, some of these teams that are really doing well in the portal, you know, you're going to see a huge shift on like, Oh, I thought you guys were bad. Uh, well, actually, uh, we're a completely <laughs> different team from last year. We've got six new players, you know. So I think we're going to see a lot of that, and that's going to depend on coaching as well, making sure that those players all fit. I feel like in the last couple of years, there's a just like the transfer portal has really just changed how programs are coming up in like the world of like NCAA sports. It's kind of crazy to see how just like they can bring in multiple D1 players and kind of underrated players who are just chilling in the portal and sweep them up. And I think it's just kind of cool to see how they come into like these games now and they play at a, play up at a higher level and when they make it to the tournament, they can really shock a lot of people and shock a lot of the D1 schools that we all see all these players come to. I just think it's amazing to see when the tournament comes around next year. I'm excited to watch and mm-hmm. see how they can just compete with each other. It's going to be awesome. I think the big one with this LS, or the, the Ole Miss group here is, is Sharp because he's such an unknown. I, I mean, he only averaged seven points and seven rebounds in, in limited minutes at Western Kentucky. But he led the country in block percentage, like I said, and then uh, the year prior was second in block percentage. He's incredible, arguably the best shot blocker in college basketball right now. Mm-hmm. Will probably average a double-double, you know, uh, mm-hmm. given yeah. the, the minutes increase. You know, he's probably going to start. Uh, the the one that I'm kind of least interested in is Nunez just because he's so young. That just feels like he's – and that's, not again, not a problem with Nunez's game. He's just more of a down-the-line development Mm-hmm. But Murray also was a very good scorer at both LSU and Georgetown, and having a guy that's seven foot five in the middle offensively should help keep him wide open. I also just think, like I said, Beard's a good coach. I mean, we know what yeah. he's going to do. Uh, I, I know, I know, people have their thoughts on that, and that's totally fair. And I don't <laughs> disagree with any of that. But at the same time, he's still a very. That's why he's at Ole Miss. And yeah. it has That's no- why he's getting portal recruits. It has nothing to do with anything other than he's incredibly good at his job. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things where I think it'll be interesting because, well, and that's the other thing where we in the SEC, the juggernauts for a very long time were Florida and Kentucky kind of yeah. ex- exclusively. And both of those programs have kind of taken a, not a back seat, but a step back. Like, mm-hmm. Kentucky is definitely not the Kentucky of 10 years ago. No. Uh, no, no, no. It's not. It's no not way. even close. I would say the same goes for Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because even though Florida was never at the level that old Kentucky was, it was mm-hmm. pretty close. I mean, some of those Bradley Beal teams, like, I mean, there are some very good yeah. Florida yes. teams. We watched two Florida teams make the Final Four this year, and it was not Florida. That's, I mean. That's, <laughs> well, that's, well, that's, yeah. that's kind of all you need to. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't even <laughs> thought of that. But, I mean, yeah. Wow. With that, I also wanted to look at what's happening at West Virginia because, as Colin was saying, we might see this big shakeup with all these tournament teams. West Virginia is a team that, with Huggins as the coach, if they make the tournament, they're probably going to make noise. Like it's, yeah. it, it feels honestly, you guys can call me out if I'm wrong on this. It feels very similar to what we watch at Michigan State, where like it doesn't matter if they're a six seed or an eight seed or a nine seed. They have Huggins, and you know what they're going to, you know what it's like. Izzo. Yeah, it's like Izzo. You yeah, know in the exactly. tournament. That Izzo is going to take care of business. They're not going to. Michigan State is sh- almost will never lose in the first round. I don't want to mm-hmm. jinx anything, but like they usually win a couple tournament games. Yeah, yeah. West Virginia does the same thing. Syracuse is similar too, or mm-hmm. was with Bayheim, 
which is where West Virginia pulled one of these guys from, Jesse Edwards coming from Syracuse. Also, Kirk Creesa coming from Arizona. The reason I like this is because I don't think either Edwards or Creesa individually are like groundbreaking stud players. Yeah. But both fit incredibly well into what West Virginia does. West Virginia is an incredible team, especially just competing against the Big 12 schools. They can stay with anyone, but they do a really good job of switching up their game between different games. You know, when they're playing Kansas State, they match up really well against Kansas State because they play a different game than when they're playing Iowa State. Yeah, you very know? fluid uh, style of coaching. They they really do a good job of playing multiple styles. That's something you don't see in a lot of teams. And I think West Virginia, especially right now with the addition of these two guys, will really take that to a whole nother level. And with a completely vamped up Big 12 mess that we're going to see next year. <laughs> I think West Virginia, you got to keep them on the radar. I'm glad that you brought up coaching when it comes to how teams like switch their playing styles in the NCAA tournament because it's so important to see how like when you play on a team like Kansas State or you play a team like MSU one time, it's just like we have different players, we have different play styles, and when you can switch the teams and switch the styles, it's really important that you can like guard those certain players and guard that talent, and that's how you see a, a good coach is when they play that well, when they rise up in the NCAA tournament. Like I said, for the women's tournament, the segment ago, but just seeing how picking up these two players is fantastic because it could just add to that success that they've already had, and now they're going to be a real dark horse in the tournament. Yeah, they're just going to have to make sure that coming in, um, these two new players are just going to be able to adapt to that, be able to get used to switching play styles every against different opponents. So that'll probably end up being a learning curve for like the first few games, but I have no doubt they'll probably catch on quick and make some really great contributions. Especially with Creasa, because Arizona was not a very good team at that. We saw that with their loss to Princeton. Princeton, yeah. all they had to do was look at how Arizona played every single game, because it was the same every single game. It's a good style until you see a team that realizes what you're doing and is able to adapt to that. Well, and I think that's part of why I like it so much, too, is because, like I was kind of mentioning earlier with the, the weaknesses of these players, both are very good players, but... Creasa uh, not really known for defense. I think the full court press of West Virginia and the high intensity defense kind of helps cover a guy like that. Yeah, like when when you have a scheme that by design is so oppressive defensively and, and can force so many turnovers, you can kind of have a guy that might not be a tremendous on ball possession by possession defender because you're going to scheme other possessions for yourself by creating turnovers. Along with that, Edwards isn't a very good passer. You know, he, he's pretty pretty traditional college big, led uh, led the ACC in blocks, second in the ACC in rebounds, averaged a double-double, doesn't have much of a jump shot, though. He's very, very around the basket, very, in, you know, interior-oriented player. Pairing him with a guy like Creasa that averaged five assists a game last year is perfect because Edwards needs the ball in his hands. He's not going to dish to other guys, but you have Creasa. He can dish for your entire offense. Yeah. I mean, that's five, a very good point. five assists mm-hmm. a game in college, is that's all you need. Yeah. You make yep. a good point with that. Didn't but, didn't see that pairing, but yeah. No, yeah, I sure. mean, that's that's kind of what landed me on it, just because I don't think either of these guys individually are like a... Uh, it's not like talking about Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. We're talking about, like, Max Abbas. And it's not to throw shade on these guys. Like, both of these guys are very good players. But, like, we, we all know who these, like, one-of-one, like instant impact, can play on any team. Like, I kind of look at Caleb Love that way. We're like, do I think he'd be as good everywhere? No, but, like... Is he good anywhere? Yes. I just think mm-hmm. he has yeah. one of those types of games. Any team he's on, he's good. I think 
part of why guys like Crease and Edwards hit the portal in the first place is because their original fits aren't that good. I don't think I think Creesa had there were some problems with his game at Arizona. I mean, he's not a very good defender. He's not very big. He's not a very good rebounder. All of that stuff is a lot easier to mask. Yeah. In a program like West Virginia where the the rebounding is structured into the zone defense and the and the and the the full court press and all this and all that and then the guards are more about being floor generals. That's all he is. That's that's what he's best at. There's also been a lot of guys that are declaring for the draft. Yes. They're keeping yes. their eligibility. I want to kind of move through this a little bit faster here because we have a lot of names here. But the two that I wanted to start with were Imani Bates from Eastern Michigan and Amari Bailey from UCLA because similar to last week when we talked about Mikey Williams, these guys were that level of high school prospect. Yeah. Uh, they yes. were, they oh, yeah. were that level of name. They were that level of reputation. I also want to talk about Bates because like how Colin was saying with how where the women athletes, they'd go to the portal instead of going to the WNBA. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think these guys just make the jump. Like, Imani yeah. Bates is the exact type of player that you would think would go to a larger school. He's just going to go make the money. He's just going to go mm-hmm. to the NBA. That's He's not going to do exactly yeah. what you you know laid out on the women's side, which I think is a very good point on the women's side, but on the men's side... He's just like, why would I transfer to a bigger school? There is more money in the NBA, and I'm just mm-hmm. gonna go get it. And and I think he will. Yeah, I agree. Yes. He he basically carried Eastern Michigan this year, so he was. I don't want to stir the pot, but he was their whole team. You you say basically carried. He was he, their whole. He, team. Yeah. he was yeah. their whole team, but also he completely erased the leadership of Noah Farrakhan. Mm-hmm. who was their mm-hmm. whole team the year before, and in a similar situation was this big. Like viral recruit with yeah. all this buzz, ended up having to bounce around a little bit. Ended up at Eastern, blew up, and then was a total afterthought. Had a had a down year this year, and as Bates took over, I think he'll be back. Frankly, now that Bates is gone, mm-hmm. fair. So you think, if anything, this is more beneficial for Farrakhan? Oh, absolutely. And so Farrakhan, instead of like maybe hitting the portal himself, should just stay because Bates will be gone, and he can just run that team again. I think yes. so. Interesting.